Jesus. Man, God bless you all. You may be seated. Thank you uh, for the videos during Pastor Appreciation Month. Been very nice and very funny. And last week, I got bacon bits along with the video, and that was nice. And I, I see the wisdom in not giving me food two, two weeks in a row. I might grow to expect it. And, uh, you know, I get enough food. Amen. Amen. You're allowed to say amen. It's all right. It's all right. I'd like to take our attention today to the book of First Kings. And we're going to talk today about the prophet Elijah. We're going to read two verses from two different chapters. The first verse of First Kings chapter 17 and the first verse of First Kings chapter 18. While we turn our attention there, I want to uh, give everyone an update. Last week I um, made a, a thorough announcement about something that I've been trying to do, running an ad on Facebook for, uh, for Bible studies. And, you know, it's the first time we're trying this, so we didn't know altogether what to expect, but we spent a certain amount of money that we would spend for the ad. It ran for just less than a, or just under a month. And we got 21 names, uh, emails, and, and phone numbers. Uh, I, I knew for sure there wouldn't be 21 people come. I mean, it's like, you know, you send out invitations to a wedding, and maybe half of them are going to come, right? Uh, so online with an ad, uh, especially as vague as ours was, which was just, what's in the Bible, question mark? Find out in 12 weeks, and just hoping that someone would respond that is interested in that. Uh, 21 people signed up. One person showed up, and so we thank the Lord for that. Amen. Now, I, I know I would love to have had 10 as well, but I know now what to expect going forward, and that doesn't mean a few more might not show up week two. And, of course, then I have some phone numbers and emails I can call and pester people with. You guys are acting like you've never accidentally gone on someone's email list. Come on, now loosen. We've got to loosen up here. Or, or phone list. Uh, and, I mean, I, I suppose if we're going to get pestered in emails, why not pester people about coming to church? Not pester them, but perhaps we'll follow up and we'll ask them, hey, do you have any prayer requests? We know that you weren't able to make it, uh, but we, we want to show our compassion towards you, whatever your need is, and reach out towards them. So uh, um, one, one soul came. It was a very good experience. Uh, uh, someone ha who actually has a lot of experience in uh, the church and with Pentecost and is looking for a church. So who knows? Uh, they may find themselves here. They may not, but we want to reach out. We want to reach out. We want to reach out. And if you're wondering to yourself, well, isn't that your job, Pastor? You must have not been here Wednesday night when we showed emphatically how it is each and every one of our explicit jobs to reach out to a world that is lost. How many are called to the Great Commission? Everybody is called to the Great Commission to go into the world and to preach and to teach and to instruct and to point the way towards Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're here, raise your hand. It's not, it's not a trick question, really. Raise your hand. You're here, right? It's you that I'm talking about. You have 
the obligation, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, to spread the word of the Lord. So we're trying it this way a little bit, and, and you have to figure out how you can be used in the kingdom of God. Is this all right for just a minute, or am I just boring you? Everybody's got the uh, Browns and Steelers game on their mind, don't you? All right. You've got to figure out how God can use you. You've got to try. You've got to try. You've got to try. Some people feel like, well, I'm, I'm just a not really outgoing person. Well, you know what? There's no caveat carved out in Scripture for shy people. You know, this has nothing to do with my sermon. I'm just, I'm just meddling for a few minutes, and I hope that that's all right. There's no, there's no caveat. There's no, uh, you know, there's no wiggle room or, or writer or, or anything like that for people who just don't feel enough courage. You know, it's not your courage you lean on. It's his courage you lean on. It's not your wisdom you lean on. It's his wisdom you lean on. It's, it's not your spirit. It's his spirit that, that we, we move and, 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 and influence the world in, not, not because of anything that we are that is so great, because, but rather because he is so great and he is so wonderful and he is so mighty. That's how we can make a difference, through his spirit and through his influence. All right, Pastor, quit giving us a hard time about it. You can say amen to that. Amen. Oh, good, good. I'm glad that you were hesitant about that one. Let's turn our attention. I'll stop meddling with that. Let's turn our attention to the book of 1 Kings chapter 17 and chapter 18, the first verse in both of these chapters. The Bible says here in chapter 17, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, except at my word. And from chapter 18 and verse 1, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Today I want to preach from this thought, the years of drought. Would you bow your heads and ask the Lord's blessing with me one more time? Sweet Jesus, love you, and we thank you, God, for bringing us here today. Lord, I ask that you would help me, that you would lend anointing, that you would focus my mind and control my tongue, that, Lord, I could speak the words of heaven, your words of encouragement, words of blessing, words of life. And help us, O oh God, to grow in you. We ask it in Jesus' holy and wonderful name. Amen. 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 You will hopefully recall that in the time of the kings of Israel, the nation that once upon a time had been quite united, had separated, and there was a northern and a southern kingdom. There was the kingdom of Judah in the south and the kingdom of Israel in the north. And so the books of Kings and Chronicles, they jump back and forth telling the story of these kings and these prophets. 
their doings, their happenings, uh, uh, their failures, and their successes as well. Now, in the north, of course, they did not have the city of Jerusalem. By not having the city of Jerusalem, it meant that they did not have the temple. And if they did not have the temple, they did not have the Ark of the Covenant. And really, that is the symbol of where the Spirit of God was. And so, it's, it's not quite this great stretch to say, you know, did they even have the presence of the Lord? Well, they certainly didn't have it in the way that God had ordained and orchestrated to approach him. But God does not want people to perish. Amen. God does not want people to be left in their sins. Amen. God does not want you to go to hell. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. And so he will send help in times of trouble. In the north, Therefore, the first king had this great political strategy. He said, you know, I don't want people jumping across the border and going to worship in Jerusalem. I want the, their focus and their loyalty and their, their money to be here in the north. And so he set up in the extreme north and the extreme south two idols, two golden calves. This was Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the Bible says. And it really was... Uh, uh, politically, even though it was, you could say, for religious purposes, but really I think it was uh, equally for, for political purposes. It took the people's focus away from the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, or as we can say with confidence today, the one and only true God, and Jesus is his name. Sets up these idols, these large idols, to take people's focus away. And the strategy worked very well. The strategy worked very, very well. There was about 20 kings, I can't remember, 1920 or so, kings of the northern kingdom of Israel, and not a one of them was any good. And that's according to the Bible. They were all, and I don't mean that in a political sense, I mean that in a faith and religious sense. The Bible mentions every single one of them by name and gives an account of whether they were righteous or unrighteous. And the Bible records that every single one of them was an unrighteous king. And it started really there with Jeroboam, with idol worship, with turning away from the God that put you in control and put you in power and helped you to this position in the first place. But then a couple of generations pass, and we have a, a king that kind of stands out. Now, he wasn't what I would call the most evil king. He may have been uh, uh, the most, uh, uh, well, what's a, a kind way to say it? A stupid king for Israel. And his name was Ahab. King Ahab comes to power. And the Bible says that compared to all the kings that came before him, he was much worse. He was um, even the more so unrighteous, even the more so idolatrous, even the more so turned away from the Lord. And he married this woman named Jezebel. And it's funny, even in popular culture in America, sometimes you'll hear people refer to another, usually a woman, as some type of Jezebel. Has anyone ever heard that? Raise your hand. Amen. Right. Even in pop culture, not necessarily even in the church. But somehow or other, uh, people don't remember that, that Ahab's the one that married her and brought her into Israel. And people kind of 
Uh, don't put the focus on Ahab. Uh, that's because, like I said, he's stupid. Is it okay if I use that word? I hope it's okay. I hope you don't, you know, lose all confidence and faith in me if I use the word. Okay, I'm, I'm tr- I'm, I'll try to get a better word, but for now we're going to stick with that. He marries Jezebel, who is godless and who was raised in a, a, a godless home that was saturated with idol worship and saturated with uh, uh, sensuality and saturated with uh, every ungodly thing that you can imagine. And he says to himself, yeah, you know what? Let's bring that over here. Let's bring that from the Phoenicians into Israel and we'll build upon what Jeroboam did with the golden calves and we'll introduce every false god unto heaven and we will bring Baal. That really was the the God, so to speak, the God that was ushered in this worship of the God Baal. From that point on, Israel struggled every generation with this issue of should we or should we not you know, worship Baal. God being a jealous God and God being a God who will not simply ignore our sins, God being a God who wants to make a place ready and a place that is at peace and a place that is right for worshiping him and approaching him. And did you know that God wants to have a church? Amen. Did you know that God it wants to make ready a bride for him? Amen. Even today. And, and that's the same was true back then, even in a nation that had turned its back on him, even in a place where they seemingly wanted to invite every other God that anyone could imagine up. He said, I still want these people. They still are, are my people, and I'm going to send them a message. And that message came in the form of Elijah, Elijah the prophet. Love to talk about Elijah. What a a very relatable character in Scripture. High highs and low lows. Kind of like you and I, right? Hey, raise your hand if you've ever been depressed. Raise your hand if you've ever been happy, like real, real happy. Amen. See, you know what I'm talking about. Elijah knew what it it was like to walk with the Lord and, and watch God do mighty mighty miracles, but he also begged God to kill him. And I won't ask if you've ever been that depressed, but I, I, I would say chances are some of us, some of us have thought, wow, it would be better if I was not here. You know, I just said that God wanted to prepare a place and to have a people and, and, and to make it, make a way that, that, People could worship him. But his message came through Elijah, and it wasn't simply, we're going to overthrow Ahab today. It wasn't simply, I'm going to kill this king and bring in someone else. You know, God doesn't work the way that we would normally work, amen? And if you have lived any length of time, you've had probably enough experience to realize that even though you think you've got the answer, chances are you don't have the answer on how to fix everything. Even though you might have some insight and have some wisdom at times to share, chances are you cannot predict what other people are going to do. You know, when we sit down to figure out a problem we make this one huge error we assume that everyone else is going to act rational 
And if there's one thing you can bet on, people are not rational. I mean, you know, in broad strokes, maybe given enough time, yeah, yeah. But with con- when confronted with anything that makes them nervous, with anything that makes them scared, with anything that's new, they're crazy. People are crazy. So God does not deal with this issue of Baal worship, and he does not deal with this issue of Jezebel and Ahab like you and I would deal with it. He sends Elijah, and Elijah says, it's not going to rain, and it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. And the clouds shut their mouths, and it does not rain for over three years, according to the word of Jesus in the New Testament. Three and a half years. The word of the Lord comes again to Ahab in chapter 18 in the third year. There's some space here unaccounted for, but in the third year, God lets him know, hey, it's about to come to a conclusion. I want you to go and to confront Ahab again. Dangerous mission. Confronting a stupid man and an evil woman. Now, he was evil, too. I'm just, you know. Hey, folks, you, you, you got to realize the humanity that's in Scripture. i got to interrupt myself for a second here. you got to realize the humanity that is in Scripture. And you need to work hard to see yourself in it. There are foolish people in Scripture. There are irrational, stupid people in Scripture. And that should tell us a whole lot about ourselves. Did pastor just insult me? Well, I hope not, but, but you've got to understand you're human, you're flawed, and, and so am I, and we're just, we're irrational. Think about the man Samson, who had supernatural strength, and, and, and there was one thing giving him that strength, his hair, according to Scripture, right? And, and how many times... Did Delilah sell him out, and he can't figure out how it's happening? Some of us are just, you know, all right. I'm going to go back to what I was really talking about. But you just got to understand, we're irrational. It's a dangerous job to confront Ahab. It hasn't rained in three and a half years. You know, when it doesn't rain, food doesn't grow. When it doesn't rain, livestock dies. When it doesn't rain, people die. And even though he's king, all the pressures of the kingdom rest on his shoulders. And no doubt there were people in that day asking him constantly, what are you going to do about this, Ahab? It ain't raining. What are you going to do about this, Ahab? There's no food. Who do we have to go to? Who do we have to talk to? What, what can be done? There is no rain. There is no food. Oh, chances are, sure, he had a way to get water. He found a way. He struck a deal for him. But people's patience, no doubt, was wearing quite, quite thin. We need food. We need water. We need help. And Elijah is sent with this task, confront Ahab. 
And all of it comes to this epic climax on Mount Carmel where the prophets of Baal, over 400 of them, cry out, build their altar, and and the deal is whoever's God answers by fire, let him be God. Elijah, you know, he starts it off this way. You know, people, how long will you halt between two opinions? You know, if, if, if the Lord is God, then let's worship him. And if Baal's God, let's, let's worship him. He that answers by fire. You know, that's the real God, and, and that's who we'll worship, and that's who we will serve. And these prophets of Baal, they cry unto their, their false god, and he doesn't answer. And the hours go by, and there is no answer. And so frustrated are these prophets, they begin to cut themselves in some type of, of show to Baal of their loyalty, cutting themselves, bleeding out onto the ground. Answer by fire, Baal, answer by fire. And Elijah, not being stupid, but being a, a instigator. You see, there's stupid people in the Bible, and then sometimes there's instigators in the Bible, Right? And Elijah is somewhat of an instigator. And he says, scream a little louder. Perhaps Baal has gone on vacation and cannot hear you. Sometimes we get elastic with scripture, but this is not one of them. He literally says this. Perhaps he's taking a nap. Wake him up. And when they've cried and prayed and bled as much as they can. Finally, Elijah says, it's my turn. And he asks for the most valuable commodity in the land before he says his prayer. It hasn't rained for three and a half years, and he says, I want you to go get me some water. He builds his altar. Not, not a cup of water, not a gallon of water, but, but buckets of water. Buckets and buckets and buckets of water. And I imagine even some of those prophets of Baal are like, you're not going to let him do this, right? I mean, there's no water. And he says one quick prayer. And God, with his voice of fire, comes down, licks up every bit of moisture, every bit of wood everything that was built in preparation for him and everything is gone in just a moment. Wow. I mean, case closed, right? It, that's how he started. It, it, how long will you halt between two opinions? Uh, if the Lord is God, let's serve him. If Baal is God, let's serve him. Well, we know that Baal's not God now. We know that Jehovah is God. Let's serve him. Furthermore, he then slew those false prophets of Baal. Poor guys are already bleeding from cutting themselves with rocks, and here he goes in to finish the job. Certainly, he is victorious. But if you know the story, you know that's not how things play out, and Jezebel then tries to hunt his his head. But in telling you all of this backstory, you know, that's really not my message today. As great and grand as that contest on Mount Carmel is and how wonderful it is, it's not the miracle that I want to draw your attention to. The miracles that I want to talk about are the years of drought. That might sound funny when you hear the miracles in the years of drought. Well, there's a curse in the land. How can there be 
miracles. There's this uh, uh, dearth among everything. There's death in the land, of course, among the food they're growing, among their livestock, and among their own lives. People are dying. What miracles are you talking about? Let's begin with this simple fact that when God told Elijah to go and say there's not going to be any rain, right after that, you know, he took care of his men. He took care of the prophet. He said, I want you to go by this, this brook, this brook over here, and, and, and you'll have water for a season. And I've instructed the, the ravens to feed you. I mean, that's a pretty cool miracle, don't you think, that uh, the birds of the air would come and, and feed you and either lay down their life or bring you bread or however it worked, uh, and that there was water to drink. But, you know, as is usually the case, the Bible and science agree, if it's not going to rain, the, the, the water in the brook isn't going to last very long, and, of course, that little river eventually dries up. And God sends him then, not to other places in Israel, but sends him just a little north to what we call Lebanon today. But the drought was there as well. And he goes to a widow's house, the widow of Zarephath. And she's one that's about to die because there's no money, there's no food, there's no water, except for one last meal that she's about to make for her and her son. And the preacher, in all of his humility and compassion, says, you know what? You're not going to eat. You make it for me. Aren't you glad I've never done that to you? Take the food right out of your mouth. And you'll recall that she agrees somehow, some way. And I know that you wouldn't ever agree to that. Especially you, John. I know. Uh, he'll pay me back for that later. But yeah, I mean, who, who would agree to this? This is my last meal, and I, I, I have a child to take care of. No one's going to agree to this, but she agrees to it. And after he eats, he blesses that house, and, and there is oil enough, and there is, is, is flour enough to make bread every day from then until the end of the drought. And God takes care of his man, and he takes care of this widow, this widow who's not even in the house of Israel, let alone the house of Judah, let alone a citizen of Jerusalem. No, a, a citizen of Zidon, a citizen in, in, in a, a, a land filled with, uh, with pagans, filled with those who don't know uh, who God is, who are not the children of Israel, saves that, that household. There are miracles, folks, even in the years of drought. God takes care of his people even in the years of drought. How many know then that same widow who was living high, much higher than most people at that, at that time, just because she had bread every day, her son dies. And so in anguish is she. She tells Elijah, you know, you're a curse on my house. How could you do this to me? And Elijah, speaking to the Lord, goes and raises that child back up from the dead. There are miracles not only for your house, but you can bring miracles into other houses, even in times of drought, even in times of death, even in times of despair. I'm telling the church today, God looks out for his people. God looks out for his children, those who do not bow to Baal, those who do not bow to the 
world. Those who do not bow to everything else that the world thinks is valuable and good and righteous. How many know that the word of the Lord says all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This world is enmity with God and his word and his purpose. If you don't bow to that world, he takes care of his people. Even in years of drought. I was thinking about the fact that we've been going through this uh, enormous shift, enormous cultural shift since about February, March of 2020. Soon it'll be two years. And it makes me wonder, well, how long, how long, how long is this going to go on? thinking about this story three and a half years well it's been a year and a half almost two years and it kind of dawned on me like you know it's not over yet as much change as we've gone through as much upheaval as we've gone through who knows who knows what Ahab's going to do next well Who knows what foolishness is going to come from the political leaders next? It's not over yet. I mean, these are not happy years for a lot of people. Not happy years. Kind of feels like a drought and thank, thank the Lord we've got water. Amen. And thank the Lord we've got food. But, but our, our joy and our happiness and uh, for a lot of people, employment and uh, wow. That's all besides the many we've buried. Years of drought. Years of drought. Years of drought. But God, folks, God helps his church in years of drought, in years of trouble. Oh, it doesn't mean that uh, we're going to be saved from every bit of, of turmoil and trouble that the world uh, just brings upon us. Uh, how many know that the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust? Uh, either good things and bad things come to people who are good and who are bad. This whole philosophy that, well, I think, you know, basically you just have to be a good person in this world. Uh, stop it with that foolishness. That, that, that's not uh, 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 proven true if you just observe what goes on around you let alone true of what the Word of God says. Bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. But beyond all the superficial and, and, and all the surface stuff that we think is either a good thing or a bad thing, uh, my message to you is that God takes care of his people even in dry times, even in wicked days, even in days of drought, even in years of drought. On his way to meet Ahab, he meets a man by the name of Obadiah. Elijah meets Obadiah, and Obadiah was Ahab's steward, if we can use that word. He was his right-hand man. He was his gopher for many things. He was a servant of the king. The Bible says Obadiah did not fear Ahab so much as he feared the Lord greatly. Even in the house of this wicked king did God preserve Another one that believed. And the Bible says of Obadiah that when the, the 
drought came, and when Jezebel came, and when Jezebel and all her wickedness was striving to drive all of the servants of God out of the land, Obadiah took 100 prophets and hid them by 50s in two different caves. And you know the most miraculous thing about that is this little part of the scripture where it says, he fed and watered them. Why is that so miraculous? Well, see, there was a drought. And I, I'm just persuaded to believe that one of the worst places to get water would be a cave in the wilderness. That means Obadiah was taking the king's water and giving it to these prophets, not of Baal, to these prophets of God Almighty. He saved for himself a hundred prophets in those caves alive and fed them and watered them. Even when the most evil of kings is on the throne, even when the most evil of spirits seemingly is influencing every decision in our world, in dry and desperate times, God can take care of his people and provide for them and work miracles and wonders and signs for them. And seemingly, as we've already said, the matter should have been settled. The matter should have been resolved. Because, of course, God answered by fire not long after this. Well, Jehovah's God, let's serve him. No, that's not what happened. And in fact, unpersuaded were the people. Unpersuaded was Ahab. And just absolutely hacked off was Jezebel. Isabel was upset because Elijah just killed 400 plus of her people. Her prophets of Baal made them look bad and then killed them. So Jezebel put the bounty out for Elijah's head. And this is, of course, where Elijah hits his lowest of lows. It's funny how in life your lowest of lows can come right after your highest of highs. And he runs into the wilderness. God, just kill me. I don't want to eat. I don't want to drink. But God provides for his people. Even when they're depressed and even when they don't have hope. And even when they don't see a way out. You know, he sent him an angel. And he gave him some food. And he said, go and eat and drink. There's a journey coming for you. You're not strong enough to make it on your own. You've got to have some food. And did it twice. Woke him up and sent him on his way. And Elijah met the Lord, you know, the voice of the Lord on a mountaintop after God had sh shook the mountain, put fire on the mountain, put a great fear in Elijah. And then he began to talk to Elijah. He said, I know that, you know, you think all is lost, but I've got a plan. I've had a plan all along. I'm not just going to ignore Jezebel. I'm not just going to ignore Ahab, I'm not going to ignore all the sins that have been committed against me, against my people, against this land. You didn't know it. You didn't know it, Elijah. God says to him, but I have 7,000 souls 
that even after all of this, have never kneeled to Baal. 7,000 that I saved from the drought. 7,000 that I fed and I made a way and they've never had to compromise their faith. They've never had to give in to the will of Ahab or Jezebel. They've never had to, to forsake their God, even in godless times, even in the years of drought. God's going to have a church. God's going to have a people. I don't know about you, but I want to be part of that group. I want to be in that number. I want to be of the people of God. Because I know even in the worst of times, he'll feed me in the wilderness. He'll water me when all hope is gone. When the foolish have the throne, oh, that's all right. God's still in control. Oh, I want to say that one more time. Someone needs to write that down and make a meme out of it today and put it on Facebook. Even when the foolish have the throne, God is still in control. God is still in control. God is still in control. He'll work a miracle for you. How many know that's true? Once you raise your hand, God will work a miracle for you. Once you shout Amen, God will work a miracle for you. Once you shout Hallelujah, God will work a miracle for you. Even in the years of drought. Won't you stand to your feet right now and raise your hands towards heaven? Won't you give the Lord some glory and some thanksgiving that He's brought you this far? That even if you've had struggles in the last year or two, even if you've been sick in the last year or two, God has brought you this far. He has provided for you financially, He has provided for you emotionally, He has provided for you spiritually. You still have a church to go to, a church that didn't close its doors. Can you shout amen? A church that's dedicated to the Word of God. A church that's dedicated to putting Christ first in this world. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Right where you stand today, let's focus on the Lord. Close our eyes. Raise our hands towards heaven. As we have a song you let the Lord speak to you for a few minutes today even in weary times even in dry times you lift me up Lord you save me when I don't want to be saved you save me you help me oh been a long day and there's so much left to do I can't find my way and I'm searching for you all that I'm feeling is that I'll never be enough I've reached my ceiling I'm in desperate need of healing But when I'm most in need I fall to my knees Problems all fade When I speak your name Mountains obey When I speak your name When I call 
When I call on your name, things change. Time has flown by since the day that I first heard you calling my name. Since you gave me your word that you never leave. And you've so much more to give. You broke through my ceiling. And you gave me my healing. When you speak to me, I fall to my knees. Problems all fade when I speak your name. Mountains obey when I speak your name. When I call on your name, when I speak your name, when I call. speak your name when I call on your name when I speak your name when I call on your name things change when I call on your name when I speak your name when I call on your name things change when I call on your name, when I speak your name, when I call on your name, things change.
Time, let's sing it together, church. always so good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Even when we don't feel like coming, you know, when we make ourselves come, we're just, without a doubt, happier about it once we leave. Yeah, it's always worth it to be among God's people, to be among encouraging words, and to sing the songs of Calvary, of salvation, of hope, and of life. Amen. I hope that you feel that way today, that you can take something from service into this next week. Be a blessing to someone. Stir your soul. Share the word with someone. Amen, amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed in the wonderful name of the Lord.